Well, Scripture is so clear that there is nothing simple about you. You are complex. You are multifaceted. You are not always easy to understand. Personally, I live with three women, the three women in my life, and they're three of the most complex individuals I know. And I still do not fully understand them. Uh, You'll get to hear from one of them today. The truth is, though, there are many factors and there are many facets and there are many forces that engage your life. We are complex. Psalm 139.14 says this. Psalms is like a songbook of the Bible. So it's a whole bunch of songs uh, that uh, writers wrote. And David, who was the greatest king of the Old Testament, uh, says this. Let's read this out loud together. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. So, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. If you would, circle the last two words there. Wonderfully complex. Wonderfully complex. Now, if you're married, you can turn to your wife right now and whisper to her, Honey, you are wonderfully complex. Okay? So, go ahead. If you're not married, don't do it with somebody else. It would be a little weird. You know what I mean? You don't know them. Don't touch them. We don't do that here at the jar. Okay? Now, uh, wives, I want to give you an opportunity as well, so just whisper back, you are amazingly simple, okay? Uh, just come back, you're amazing. See, see men, men have on and off switches, that's it. They're either on or they're off. There's no, like, too much thinking about them. They're on or off. Women have buttons and bells and gauges and dials, and sometimes when you don't get all that together... It ain't happy up in the home. You know what I mean? And so uh, we, we come with that type of thinking, but the reality is, is that all of us are wonderfully complex. And to become all that God intends you to be, you can't simply focus on one area or one dimension of your life. But if you want to be all that God calls you to be, you've got to focus on all the different dimensions. Ecclesiastes is a book in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible. It's a bunch of uh, wise sayings and wisdom literature. And in chapter 7, verse number 18, it says this, A person who fears God deals responsibly with all of reality, not a piece of it. If you're going to be all that God wants you to be, then you're really going to have to change. And you're going to have to change not just one area of your life, but different areas. Every factor, every facet, every force in your life, you have to deal with them all to be all that God wants you to be. Now, just by a show of hands, how many of you have ever played poker before? Raise your hand. Okay. Boy, there's a bunch of sinners up in this place today. No, I'm just glad I'm not the only one. Uh, I'm feeling more comfortable now, though, knowing that some, maybe not, that some of you are playing poker a lot. But uh, in five-card stud poker, when the cards are dealt, you have to, bl- you have to uh, play what you're dealt. 
You don't get to mix and match. You don't get to, um, you know, play the hands of the person beside you. You don't get to trade in to the dealer. You can only play the cards that you were dealt. And in the same way, this is kind of a metaphor for life. That there are some things that you have been dealt with in your life that you don't have a choice over. You didn't choose. You didn't ask for some of the things in your life. You didn't choose your parents. You didn't choose the family that you were raised in. You didn't choose when you were born, where you were born. You didn't choose your race. You didn't choose your talents. You didn't choose not to have certain talents that you wish you had. There are a lot of things about you that you had no choice over. They're just the hand you were dealt. And now you've got to take this hand and play it. And that's what I want to talk about for the rest of our time together. You were created in the image of God. That's what Scripture says. Regardless of the hand that you were dealt, you were created in the image of God. No other animal has ever been created in the image of God. Uh, Cows are not created in the image of God. Dogs aren't created in the image of God. Monkeys aren't created in the image of God. You are the only one who was created in the image of God. What does that mean? It means a lot of different things, but the one thing that it means is that you have a free moral choice. Dogs can't make moral choices. They have instincts. That's why they leave little gifts on your carpet. Because even if you tell them, don't do it, they're like, if I gotta go, I gotta go. So dogs don't have free moral choice. They simply have to go by their instincts. Cats, giraffes, elephants, they don't make moral choices. I've never gone to the zoo before and seen an elephant make a moral choice. You have the choice to choose. That's because you were made in God's image. God made you. Angels don't have a choice to choose. Only you do. And you can choose to stay the same where you're at right now, or you can choose to change. And the freedom of choice is that it's the greatest blessing, and yet also it's the greatest curse. And sometimes we do some of the dumbest things. We make some of the dumbest choices regularly. The last three weeks, I've had an issue with a light that is underneath our cabinet. There's a light underneath our cabinet. It hasn't worked. So I flipped the switch on that's connected to this light And it's not working. So I think you go to Lowe's and you buy the bulb for it. So I bought one bulb, came back, installed it, nothing. Went, got a second bulb, installed it, nothing. I even had the people at Lowe's convinced. (laughs) They did. They were all convinced that the whole box was bad. I said, listen, you hear that? You shouldn't be able to hear this. And they're like, oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. So I call an electrician. Uh, from our church to come and help me out. He comes and he touches the bulb just a little bit and he looks 
And there is a light switch on the light fixture, but there's a light switch like electric or that, that's connected to the house. It's already been pre-wired. He flipped it once. The light came on. Now I'm out 50 bucks and all he did was turn on a switch. You know what I mean? Actually, I gilded him a little bit and said, you know, the Lord really could use. No, I'm joking. I didn't, he didn't even charge me, honestly. But we all make dumb choices. We all make self-defeating choices. We make harmful choices to our bodies, to ourselves, and in the circumstances that we choose. So the choice is, you're either going to be a blessing, that's a choice, or choices can be a curse. Now for the rest of our time together, I want us to look at five winning choices in your life that you can make, you can make, and you can change. Here's the first one. This is the, car, the hand you've been dealt, so you've got to make some choices. And here's choice number one. I can choose to get healthier. I can choose to get healthier. Folks, regardless of who you are and where you're sitting right now, you can get healthier than what you are right now. You can. I can choose to get healthier, and you can as well. And there are things when you get healthy that will actually help to increase your energy level. That it will lower your stress. There are things that I can do, and there are things that you can do, that can give you more power and more health in your life. Here's a few. I can eat better. Some of us don't eat very well, and I'm recovering myself. I'm trying to get better, but I can eat better. You can get more sleep. Some of you just never sleep enough. You know, Jimmy Fallon's great, but he'll be like Leno in a couple years, so go to bed. You know what I mean? Just, just see some reruns. Get more sleep. Exercise regularly. Reduce some of your stress. These are all things, folks, that you can choose to do. You have control over it. So instead of bemoaning the fact that when you look at these Olympians, many of you probably watched the Winter Olympics, and you look at these little figure skaters doing their little thing, and you're a female, and you look at their body, and you're like, oh my, I'm not that way. Quit bemoaning that, okay? Or you see the big, burly, you know, skier, downhill skier comes down, and you're like, oh, I wish I had that. Or the cross-country skiers, you know, they they cross-country ski for miles and miles, and their heart rate's so high, and then they tell them, shoot a gun. Like, that's really smart. Who came up with that sport? You know what I mean? Let's get someone so exhausted so that then they can shoot something. You know? doesn't make sense to me. But you look at these people, and you look at these athletes, and you're like, oh, man. And the fact is, we all have a tendency to bemoan what we're not rather than being thankful for who we are. You need to do a better job of simply doing with what God has given you. So let me ask you this morning. Are you making the most of the body that God has given to you? Psalm 119.73 says this. You made my body, Lord. Now give me sense to heed your laws. Folks, there are some things in your body that you can't change. There are some things about your body you can't change. You can't change the fact that you want to be one inch higher. 
However tall you are right now, folks, that's how tall you're going to be. Some of you are going to shrink, but none of you are going to get any taller. It's just the way it is. Ladies, as much as you want, you're never going to be a Victoria's Secret model. They don't, they're not real people. You know what I mean? They come from another planet, and then they bring them to Earth. You're not going to become that, okay? You're not going to become, uh, guys, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, you know? And let's just face it, none of you are going to be as handsome as I am. So, but there are a lot of things, folks, that you can change. You could get into better shape. You could choose to eat better. You can do something that's right and do it consistently. You can do right and be right, and you can make some changes. Folks, there are some things that you can control. For instance, you could get a membership here at the Y and work out. I'm always amazed at people who say, yeah, I got a membership at the Y. And then I'll ask them, I'll say, well, how often do you go? Oh, I don't go. I'm like, why did you get a membership? Because it made me feel good. I'm like, here, give me some money and I'll tell you anything you want to know. You know, I mean, it's like, no, you should go and do some stuff. You can control what you eat. And put in your body. You can control how much sleep you get each night. Now, some of you are sitting there and you're saying, Chris, Chris, you don't know my story. I'd like to make some of those changes. But I come, I come home at night and I am so tired, I just lie down on the couch, I veg out, and I watch TV until I sleep. You know what that is? That's an energy issue, folks. You have energy issues. So you start with the physical that's the card you were dealt. You start with it and you ask yourself, what do I need to do physically to get healthier? The second winning choice that you need to make is this. I can choose to deepen relationships. You can choose to deepen your relationships. That's an intentional choice that you make. You can do that right now. You can decide that you're going to have better relationships in your life. I can choose to have them. Now, for some of you, what you'll have to learn is some communication skills. How do I connect and communicate with my relationships? Some of you, you might need some counseling. But you can build some healthy relationships in your life, and you can replace some of the bad, nasty relationships in your life. I can reach out, and I can work on my relationships. I can risk connecting. Now, I don't use that word risk haphazardly when it comes to connecting and building relationships. Because if you want to have healthy relationships in your life, guess what? It's going to take risk. You're going to have to step out in faith in some of these relational areas. You may want to uh, write this uh, next phrase down. It's not in your notes. This is what it says. The fear of rejection prevents connection. When you have a fear of rejection in your life, it will prevent you from connecting in healthy relationships. Most of the time, the reason that you don't connect is because you fear being rejected by other people. You fear being disapproved. You fear being hurt. You fear what others will think or say about you. So... The question becomes, how do I get rid of the fear of rejection? How do I get rid of fear, period? Well, Scripture actually gives us a very 
clear antidote. And this is it. In 1 John 4.18, let's read this out loud together. There is no fear in love, but perfect drive, uh, love drives out all fear. How about if I could read? That would be helpful. Let's do this again. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out all fear. What I'd like you to circle is that phrase, no fear. No fear. Remember skateboarders a few years ago, they had, they had this huge marketing thing. Everything was like, no fear. I'll do anything. Just no fear. Now you might ask, why does love take fear? Why does love take away fear? Because love takes the focus off of me, and love always puts the focus on somebody else. This is why people get uptight all the time in social settings. Um, People will go, and, and, and life's not about you, folks. It's not about you. It's about other people. It's not about your health, your wealth, your hurt. It's about others. And love has no fear because it's not about me. Um, the problem, though, we get into social settings and people just freak out. My wife Jennifer and I were at a, uh, a wedding last night. It was a very highfalutin kind of wedding. Uh, a lot of, uh, I don't know what you call them, a lot of people who think they're more important than they actually are. We're there, basically. <laughs> and, um, well, that's true. I mean, we were in Hamilton County and uh, a lot of good people that I love, but they just, you know, they, they did. And so we're... We're there, and I walked in, and people were just like uptight. They're like, you could just feel like stress all around. And that was before they knew I was the pastor. You know, like after, sometimes people know I'm the pastor, they get real stressed, like, oh man, what's it going to ask me? But they're all just like freaking out, and they're uptight. And um, the reason is, is because when we go to things like this, when we go to social functions, weddings, uh, parties, whatever, all of you do this. You go somewhere. And you get up tight, and the first thing you think is, how do I look to everybody? How is everyone else thinking about me? And then you start freaking out. Oh, no, did I, did I have some spinach in my teeth? Uh, ladies, do I have a hair that I didn't pluck? You know what I mean? Just keeping it real, ladies. You know, it happens. Guys, for some of you, it's like, does anyone notice my receding hairline? You know? And everybody, you know, do I have bad breath? Or is there toilet paper dangling as you walk out of the restroom? You know, I mean, like all of you think these things. How do I look? What does everybody think about me? I'll tell you. I'll tell you the truth. They're not thinking about you. They're not thinking about you at all. No one at the party is thinking about you. I see this with single people all the time. They'll go to some event and they want to get to know someone and they freak out. They'll come into my office. They're like, I'm freaking out. They're not thinking about you. Do you know why? I'll tell you why. Because they're all thinking. I wonder what people are thinking about me. And I wonder what they're thinking about the way I look. It's a fallacy at parties, weddings, whatever social event that we go to, that we go in worried and we're thinking about what everyone else thinks about us and nobody's looking at you folks. They're not. They're all thinking about themselves. They're not thinking about you. You see, self-centeredness 
walks into a room and self-centeredness says this, how do I look to everybody else? Love walks into a room and says, how can I think about somebody else? Is there somebody in this room that I can help? Who needs a word of encouragement? Who could I affirm? Who could I reach out to? Who is the person at the party who's standing over in the corner all by themselves and no one's engaging with them? Am I going to walk across the room and show love and kindness to the person? That's what love says. And folks, love, humility, is not thinking of yourself less. People have taken humility and they've done a really bad thing. They they take humility and they say, I'm humble. I'm no good. I'm nothing. I'm junk. No, humility is not... uh, Humility is thinking of yourself less. It's not, you know, thinking less of yourself. You just think less about you. You're so focused, though, on thinking about what people think about you and that self-centeredness. You've got to think about other people. And when you do that, all of a sudden you're showing love and you're giving an era of humility. If I walked out here every single week and I was concerned about the way that you thought I looked, I'd be scared to death. But I try most weeks to come and go, God, what is it that these people need today? Not what I need, but what... Do they need? And then I just simply try to do that, whether that's a word of encouragement or a laugh or a challenge or something to give to you so that you take that next step of change in your life. Because perfect love, when we do that, folks, it casts out all fear. 1 Corinthians uh, 14.1 says this. Let's read this out loud together. Let love be your highest goal. Let's say it again. Let love be your highest goal. Now, that ought to be the goal of your life, folks. The highest goal in your life should be to love people. It's not about accomplishments. It's not about wealth. It's not about achievements. It's not about fame. It's about loving other people. I want to love at the highest. I want that to be my highest goal. Now, some of you, I know, are sitting there and you're going, Chris, I loved once and I got burnt. I mean, I put my heart out there on a platter and somebody came and they stomped on it and they put it into a grinder and they ground me up like hamburger. I'm still hurting from this. Yeah. And? Does that give you the ability never to love again? Show me somewhere in the Bible where it says, you know what, if you get hurt by loving somebody else, you don't have to love anybody anymore. Just take a break. Take a break until you die. Don't love anybody. Don't trust anybody. Just that. I always tell people, I would rather love and lose than to never love. I would rather love and be rejected than to never know the joy of what it means to have a heart connection with another person. And I want to live that way. I want love to be my highest goal. You're not allowed, folks, not to love if you're following Jesus. Love means risking connection. It means stepping out. 
Each morning we should wake up and pray this prayer in Ephesians 3.17. Paul prays this, I pray that Christ will live in your hearts by faith and that your life will be strong in love and be built on love. Circle those two phrases. Strong in love. I want to be strong in love. And I want to be built in love. Friends, there are literally hundreds of people that you come into contact with every single week that are starving for someone to notice them. They're starving for someone to love them. There are plenty of elderly people in our community who get pushed aside, who if you spend some time reaching out, going to a nursing home, doing something to show love, it would change their life. There are little girls and little boys who grow up with no daddies whatsoever. And if you stepped up to love, it could change their life. There are people all around you. There are people right now, folks, that are sitting in your row and they are starved for love. They're hoping that someone notices them. Someone will love them. So you don't get to say this. I'm not going to love because I got hurt once. Folks, you can deepen your relationships, but you have to step out and risk in love. The third winning choice is this. I choose to trust God no matter what happens. I choose to trust God no matter what happens. Whatever the circumstances, I can choose to trust Him. Paul, one of Jesus' closest followers, says this in Romans chapter 8. He said, God knows us far better than we know ourselves. That's why you should trust His judgment more than you trust your own judgment. Because He knows you better. He knows me better than I know myself. God knows us far better than we know ourselves. That's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God Circle that phrase, every detail. He knows every detail. And it says, and it is worked into something good. Everything that happens in your life is not good. Bad things happen to you. But what the scripture is saying is that he can take whatever is not good and turn it into something that is good. God knew what he was doing from the beginning. You and I didn't. We didn't know what we were doing from the beginning. He did. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him. That's you and me. He loves us. Along the same lines as the life of his son. You see, folks, God has one goal for your life. His goal is to make you more like Jesus. Whatever the circumstances you're going through, whatever is happening in your life, he says, whatever it is, I still want to make you to look more like Jesus. The Son, Jesus, stands first in the line of humanity he restored. And we see the original and the intended shape of our lives there in him. God wants to use every circumstance, folks, in your life. To make you look more like Christ. This next thing isn't in your notes, but just like you, if you want, you can write it down. But uh, it's really uh, impacted me, and this is the phrase. It'll come up on the board. I'm a product of my past, but I'm not a prisoner of it. 
I'm a product of my past, but I'm not a prisoner of it. See, folks, every single one of you, you have a past. And you didn't choose maybe some of the things. Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. But whatever it is from your past, you might be a product of it, but you're not a prisoner of it. But the problem is, is that sometimes our minds and the way that we think place us in prisons. And Jennifer, uh, my wife, is going to come up and she's going to speak on this issue of your brain and how we think. So, welcome, uh, my bride. So, I'll be addressing on your teaching outline the fourth point. And uh, it says, I can choose what I think about. So I was asked to help teach this section because it's about our brain, how our brain functions, how we receive information, and how memories are formed. Um, and I'm, I believe some of that is because, you know, science and medicine is part of my wheelhouse. But I think part of it is because there are words in this section that Chris did not want to learn how to speak. So, uh, so here you have me. All right, so we're going to take a step back to high school biology class, uh, and we're going to talk about memories. So when I say high school biology class, does that bring a good memory or a bad memory back? Okay, mixed, mixed, mixed emotions there. So we're going to start talking a little bit about bad memories, memories that are filled with guilt or shame, memories that bring back moments of embarrassment um, or pain, uh, moments that were fearful, um, some memories that are uh, of sheer terror, um, some of being alone or abandoned. We have memories like that, right? Yeah, we all do. So these are bad memories, and they're stored in a part of your brain called the amygdala. And there's a picture up there, and that little red dot is the amygdala. It's kind of in the center part of your brain, off, uh, actually in the temporal lobe. Uh, which is right behind your ear. So if you were to draw a line straight back from your eye and then straight through your ear, where those lines intersect is about where the amygdala is. And that's a place where it receives a lot of information from different senses, right? So what you see, what you hear, some things that you smell, um, things that, uh, that you may have touched, words on a page, um, music, those types of things are brought in and processed by the amygdala. So um, I think all of us have memories that are associated with something. Um, for me, the example I can give you today is that uh, there's a place in Muncie that I still really just don't like to drive by. It's um, Applegate Apartments. And um, there's really nothing wrong with Applegate Apartments. Uh, and, and, and if you live there or have friend, friends or family that live there, it's actually a really nice place and, um, and, and, and whatever. So I don't have anything negative to say about it in that way. But I lived there uh, my first year of medical school, uh, which was also our first year of marriage. And Chris and I had to live apart because I was living here in Muncie, actually, uh, doing that first year of medical school. And he was pastoring two churches near Lafayette, and so it just really wasn't feasible for us to live together that year. And i got to say that um, here I am, this medical student, and I'm trying to learn how to process all this information and treat others, and I just went through a horrible uh, depression. It was a really terrible, terrible year of my life. And so as I'm learning how to treat others, I found myself 
needing treatment myself. And so it was a very overwhelming uh, time for me. And by God's grace, I received healing from that and um, have moved on. And it's a really important part of my history because it helps me to understand others who are in that same boat. Uh, And obviously, Applegate Apartments really had nothing to do with why I went through that um, difficult time. But I got to say, every time I still drive by there, I just, I don't like it. it. It makes me uncomfortable. And so I think there are probably things that you guys have experienced like that, right? That maybe it's a smell or something that you see or when you touch um, something or you hear, uh, you know, nails on the chalkboard or whatever. It brings back um, a bad memory for you. And that's all um, sort of because of the amygdala. So the amygdala takes in all this information. And the interesting thing, too, is that it puts out a response. And all of us know what that feels like, right? So when we have that sensation of pain or fear, like our blood pressure goes up, our heart rate goes up, we might even feel a heart pounding in our chest, we feel anxious, we sweat, We feel like running, uh, and so we just want to escape that sense of fear or pain. Uh, And that's all from that part of the brain. Um, And it's when you feel a response from the amygdala, it's not really a response that you can ignore, right? Um, Because that that response is so uh, strong. So on the flip side, let's talk about where our good memories are stored. And I will say that learning this there's a lot of debate in science about, you know, because it's very complex how memories are processed and stored. But right now, the current thought is that a lot of our good memories are stored in a place not too far from the amygdala called the hippocampus. And so it's very similar in terms of the, the fact that it, it takes in a whole bunch of information. What you see, what you smell, what you hear, what you touch, that sort of thing. Uh, it, it brings all that information in and it stores it in a good way. So, this time I want you to think about some sort of smell or song or something that brings in good memories. You guys all have those? Um, For me, and I know this is rather odd, uh, but I um, feel happy thoughts when I smell mothballs. Um, And uh, my grandma, she used these all the time. My grandma, she lived in Florida. We went to visit her a lot. And so when I would walk in the door and there's mothballs, I'm like, oh, it's grandma's, you know? And so you have these really uh, good experiences with with grandma. And so now whenever I go in someone's house that has mothballs, I'm like, I feel really home. Uh, And so it's odd how different scents, um, even ones that may not be so pleasant, can have pleasant memories associated with them. And that's all Um, due to the hippocampus. So maybe it's for you. It's the smell of chicken and noodles simmering on the stove. Maybe it's the fresh, like, beach air. Uh, Maybe it's a certain song that, like, was played at your wedding. Maybe it's the song to Gilligan's Island. I don't know. Maybe you have really good, strong memories about the reruns that you watched when you were a kid. So anyway, the hippocampus helps us to associate these memories with pleasant experiences. However, whether the memory is good or the memory is bad, the more we think about it, the more it becomes ingrained in who we are and what we do. So if you think of something once, you might not even be able to store that as memory. 
however, if you think of something two times or three times or four times, you start to develop a pattern and your brain responds to that and stores that. This is okay if it's positive or if you're studying for a test or that sort of thing because you really want to be able to retrieve that information. However, if it's negative input, this can be really dangerous, right? So if you continue to have this sort of negative ingrained pattern put into your brain, you're going to first run into one of these. Have you guys seen any of these lately? Right. Big old Indiana um, pothole. Right. So you have basically pothole going on in your brain where it can sort of mess up the route that you're on, right? Mess up your tire, bend the rim, that sort of thing. So um, as these negative memories are kind of being stored, it might throw you off track from what God has for you in your life. And if you're not careful and you still allow these memories to kind of continue to be patterned, that pothole is going to turn into a big old rut in your road. And so it's not just going to affect your, your drive time. You're going to get stuck. So uh, it, it, it can be very dangerous to you. And then if you continue to allow it to, to grow, then it will develop into a very deep canyon. And I know some of you have been down in a deep canyon, right? And you feel trapped. And you feel like there's absolutely no way out. I just want you to know that in the past, we used to think that uh, all, the, all the brain patterns and things were, were done in infancy and childhood. And that after that, we really couldn't repattern our brain or change the memories that are in there. However, neuroscience has come a long way, and there, are, there have been lots of uh, pushes to research this um, a great deal. And in 2002, these three guys won the Nobel Prize for medicine for their research in neurobiology and basically helped to uh, promote the idea that our brain is more plastic or elastic than we thought it would be that we can actually rewire, we can actually repattern, we can change the way that we think. Regardless of what's happened to you in your past, or regardless if you feel like you're in the bottom of that canyon, there is a way out. Your brain can be repatterned, rewired. Of course, God knew this all along, and Paul was tuned into it when he wrote Romans about 2,000 years before these guys did their research uh, in 2002 that won them the Nobel Prize. So in chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, we find it says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. So basically that means don't copy all of the patterns and habits that are negative, that are present here, that are not godly. But let God transform you. Transform means repattern, reorganize, rewire your brain. And I find it so cool that the word, the Greek word that is used in, for transform in this passage is a word that most of us are familiar with, and it's metamorphosis. Cool, right? So there's this complete transformation. And metamorphosis, I guess the theme is we're going back to high school biology. Uh, as a little diversion, um, 
Chris, he um, really didn't struggle with high school biology, at least that I know of. Did he? No? No, he did pretty well in high school biology. But I got to tell you that in college, um, the, the chemical science class, he had a little bit of trouble with. And um, it, you can show that slide. It might have had something. <laughs> might have had something to do with an explosion or something. Uh, yeah. And so this guy, our professor, Dr. Lutz, who is a renowned, esteemed um, chemist, he said, you know what, Chris? Um, you're really nice and all, but I really think it'd be better if you found a different course to take. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, let's uh, go back to metamorphosis in high school biology. <clears throat> so, this is the changing of the caterpillar to a butterfly. Complete transformation of one being to another being. And this is what God can do in our lives. He can help us to repattern and rewire and transform. So, our life is rather like a balancing act. Uh, and I think this scale uh, helps me to visualize that. So we have all kinds of information and we take it in. So the negative stuff goes on one side and the positive stuff goes on the other side. And we'd like for the positive side, of course, to be tipping the scales. But the negative brain input sometimes is hard, right? Like, have you ever looked in the mirror and you have struggled with thoughts like, I'm really just no good. I'm not worth it. I'm not successful enough. I'm not pretty enough. I don't take, I'm, I'm a bad mom. I'm a bad dad. I'm not coordinated. I'm not smart. I'm not athletic. I'm really just not enough. I am here to tell you that these are lies. These are lies of the world. These are lies that Satan would love for you to believe. Um, and as we receive all of this stuff, our brain has to process it. Uh, and then we put more negative stuff on that side of the scale. On the positive side of the scale, though, what God wants you to know and what God wants you to embrace today is when you look in the mirror, he wants you to say, I am beautiful. I am loved. I am special. I am totally worth it. That's what he wants you to say. So, how do we change? How do we let that positive side of the scale win? How can we transform ourselves? How can we undergo this metamorphosis? First, <clears throat> I got to say, we have to stay away from the negativity as much as we can. Because we have choices about that, guys. You and I both know there's plenty of stuff on TV we should not watch. Right? There's magazines that should not be purchased. There's websites that should not be viewed. And there's movies in the theater right now that we should not go to. Right? Like, we have choices about this. Um, because we know that that stuff puts negative into our brain and then tips those scales and doesn't make us feel better about ourselves. And so just as much as we should avoid the negative stuff and the negative input from the world, 
we, sh- we should add those nuggets of truth, that positive stuff. And you've got to start with the Word of God. Start reading the Bible. This has been given to you as a love letter from God who wants you to feel good about yourself and wants you to repattern your brain. And if you don't have a Bible or you don't know where to start, that's okay because we've got Bibles. Please stop at the Resource Center. They'd be happy to give you a Bible. Um, They'd be happy to give you a reading plan. Just start. And really, it doesn't have to be anything fancy or big. Just a little bit a day. A day. And, and remember to memorize just little bits of it. Speak those bits of truth to yourself while you're driving in the car, while you're in the shower, while you're working out, whatever. Speak that to yourself so that you know that God is speaking to you and wants to give you all of this positive energy from Him and rewire your brain. Listen to Christian music. A lot of Christian music has uh, is formed from Scripture. And so if you're listening to those lyrics and they come along in your head as you're driving in the car, guess what? You're memorizing Scripture too. Hang words of encouragement on your mirror in your bathroom. Hang words of encouragement on your refrigerator, on your microwave. Uh, for me... Um, whenever I see a verse or some line from a song or inspirational quote or something that's going to add that positivity to my life, I print it out and I hang it on my computer screen at work. And I don't know about you, but I spend a lot of time in front of my computer screen. In fact, I spend so much time in front of my computer screen, they gave me two screens. So I have something printed on both of my screens. Um, And, you know, whatever, put it down the side, in the front... Wherever, put it so that you see it and that um, you're constantly reminded of how much uh, God loves you. Don't let that negative stuff define you. Start to define yourself by saying, I am a child of God. Negative input is never from God. It isn't. That's not in your program either, but if you want to write it down, you can write it down. Negative input is never from God. Choose God. Choose His way of thinking. When you practice removing all of the negativity and adding the positive, you can totally get out of that canyon that you've been in. You can create beautiful new patterns in your brain. And all that fear and that pain and the anxiety that you've been experiencing can be replaced. It can be replaced by the power of God. And you can absolutely rewire your brain. And you can choose what you think about. Man, I married up. You know what I mean? Like, I like, I like way up. Married way, way up. Um, you all know that. I wasn't, I mean, I wasn't, you know, you never clapped for me, but hey, thanks anyways. For, anyways, hey, let's go on to the next point. Uh, last winning choice, and it's this. I can choose Jesus to be my Savior. I can choose Jesus to be my Savior. Now, when I... Talk about choosing him as my savior. I'm not just talking about choosing him so that I get saved from hell and saved to heaven. I'm not talking about saving you from your sins and uh, forgiving you. 
Although, today, if you've never done that before, we'll give you a chance to do that because I can't think of a better choice that you might make today for change in your life than saying, Jesus, I don't know everything about you, but as much as I've learned today, I want to follow you. I want you to be my Savior. But I'm not talking about a Savior that does something in the distance. I'm talking about a Savior that does something for you every single day. One that you turn to and you say, God, today, help me to depend upon you and save me from my circumstances. Save me from my problems. Save me from the pressures. Save me from the drama that's in my workplace. Save me from the trouble. Jesus, I need you to save me from unhealthy relationships and save me to healthy ones. And Jesus, I need you to save my mind. The way that I think, God, help me to put more than just those negative thoughts from the amygdala. I need you to just save me, not from my sin, God, but I need you to save me from myself. Scripture says this, When someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person inside. He's not the same anymore. A new life has begun. That's what today's about. A new start, a new life, a new beginning. That concept of metamorphosis that you become something new and transformed. And God wants to do that in your life. Now, some of you might be sitting there and you go, you don't know my past, though. And I can't change. It's too late for me to change. And I'd just like to tell you, no, it's not. It's never too late to change. So the way we're going to close today is we're going to give you two opportunities that you get to choose from. The first one is, if you've never accepted Christ as Lord, if you never said, I want you to be the Savior of me, I want you to save me from these things and save me to you, I'll be standing over here uh, and you can come up and I would love to pray with you and help you through uh, that process. The second opportunity is for any of you who have already named Christ as Lord of your life. But the reality is there's something in your life right now that you need some healing in. Something that you say, you know what, in my relationships, in my health, in something from my past, a past scar, I need God's healing. Because we believe strongly in this place that when we pray in faith, that prayer has a powerful effect. James, uh, Jesus' brother, uh, knew him as well as anyone. He read these words. He said, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be... What's the next word? Healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, the first step to healing, folks, that James says, the very first step is in that first line. What do we have to do? Confess your sin. Now, you don't have to confess your sin to everybody. You don't have to confess your sin to 20 people. But you need to confess your sin to one person. And I've never come to church and someone comes up to me and they go, Oh man, you know what was so great about church today? i got to confess sin! You know what I mean? Like, I've never had anyone who's come to church and what they're most excited about is the confession time. None of us are eager to do that. But if you want freedom in your life, you've got to get yourself open and get some stuff out. You can't let the amygdala 
continue to control the balancing of those scales that Jen talked about. I love when I see this. A couple years ago, a guy came up to me, and I always know it's going to be a big thing when, he, when people tell you this. I've never told anyone this before. And then just, he just let it out. And by the time he left my office that day, it was like this freedom and healing in his life that it was visible. You could see he was a different person when he left. I remember a few years ago, a, a woman came to me and she wanted to confess some real stuff from her past. And so she did. And I'll never forget, she walked out of the office and she goes, I feel 50 pounds lighter. I mean, folks, confession of sin has weight loss to it. I mean, you confess sin and you lose the baggage. There's power in it. There's power in prayer. Some of you might be dealing with some stuff right now. You're like, no, no, no. You don't understand. What I'm going through, Chris, it's impossible. It's just impossible. No way I could be healed. And Scripture says this. For nothing is impossible with God. Some of you this morning, you need physical healing. You got some reports. Or you've got a pain. Or something's wrong with your back. Something. And you need some healing. Others of you... You need healing in a relationship. Your marriage is holding on by a string right now. Your kids are out of whack, and you don't know if you're ever going to get them back into a line. Maybe it's someone here in the church. Maybe it's a coworker, but you need God's healing in a relationship. Others of you need emotional healing. The amygdala is filled with stuff, and your emotions are overwhelmed. You're depressed. You're lost. You feel alone. Some of you just need some spiritual healing. You've almost given up on God. You come, but you don't know if God really thinks about you. Stop praying. Stop reading your Bible. So today, maybe you just need God to reach down to you and say, I'm here. I want to give you healing. I want to give you freedom in your life. Now, we're not an altar uh, calling high-pressure, manipulative type of church. We never have been. We never will be. And I fought with God for these last three weeks about how we were going to end, but He won. And so I'm going to ask our prayer team to come up here for a second. And uh, each of these people will be up here to uh, pray. And basically... Scripture says that when you need healing in your life, that you would go and you'd confess sin, and then you would pray that uh, you would be healed, and that the prayers of God's presence being in this place actually heals people. We have stories of this, um, of physical healing, relationships being mended. And there's nothing really all that powerful about this oil. To be honest, it costs $4.49 at the Christian bookstore. So if you want it, you could go there. You could get all, the one, all that you want. But this is what we think. This is what I believe. That Scripture says that when we have prayer and we anoint someone, it's through faith in God that healing takes place. And so uh, I've asked these people to to pray for you and they will anoint you. And basically, this is how it's going to work. 
We're going to stand up here in a second, and I'm going to close this in prayer, and Derek's going to play, and you're feel, you can feel free to go if you want to. But if there's something in your life that you need healed today, then I wouldn't, I wouldn't know why you'd want to leave. There's nothing going on on TV. There's no NFL games. There's nothing. And this is what's going to happen. You'll come up and the person will simply say, what's your name? You give them your name. Then they'll say, what sin would you like to confess? And you can whisper it right into their ear. And they've been, uh, they've made a commitment to keep it to themselves. I don't want to know it. Nobody wants to know it. But you need to confess something. And then after you do that, they're going to say, what would you like to be healed of? And then they'll take some of this anointing oil and they'll place it on their finger and they'll just put a sign of a cross on your forehead and pray for you. It's not wacky. It's not weird. It's right from Scripture and says, hey, we believe that faith that God can do this. So we'll ask you to stand right now and I'm going to close this in prayer. And like I said, if uh, this doesn't speak to you, that's fine. But if there's something in your life that you need healed, I can't imagine why you would leave today. And if you've never accepted Christ, I'll be over there uh, near the basketball goal and would love to pray with any of you. So let's go ahead and, and let's spend some time in prayer. God, I can't think of anything more important than seeking your healing today. For some people, God, what they need is to seek you for the first time. That their life has been all kind of confused and they just need a, a point of reference. They need a point north, which is you. And I pray that you'd give people the courage to pray that prayer. For other folks, God, they got a lot of stuff going on in their life. They know you, but... They just need some healing in their life today. They got a relationship that is just bad. They need healing from some hurts. They need healing from their bodies. They need some healing of their emotions from their spirit. So, God, would you reach down right now? And would you heal your people? And we thank you in advance for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name.